0: Hey, a quick message for those of you who are listening to this episode on Spotify. I have a small favor to ask. Spotify now allows mobile users to rate podcasts. I would really appreciate it if you can take a quick pause to go to the Techly Journal podcast page and leave your favorite show, your best rating on Spotify. It will help me a lot to get this podcast to reach more people on the platform. Thanks a lot. Maybe let's start from there by becoming a senior engineering leader, what do you think a role of a senior engineering leader should be? What's the responsibilities or what are unique about being a senior engineering leader?
1: That's a great question. So as you, I don't like that word, but as you rise up the ladder, rise up the positions, a couple of things happen here. So one is the responsibilities increase, the breadth increases. So when I say breadth increases, I mean, now your scope actually becomes larger. One thing that also increases is the ambiguity in the expectations from your role increases. So now you do not know very clearly what is expected of you. To give an example, there is this phrase when you start your career, initial few years when you're a software engineer or senior software engineer, you are told what to do and you're also told how to do, where you have to go and do it. As you go further, maybe senior software engineer to principal engineer and so on, now you're told what to do but not told how to do. You need to figure that out. But as you go further, I think you are not told even what to do and how to do. We have to figure it out. You have to figure out what to do and how to do. So that is what happens here. But for senior engineering leadership roles, there are a bunch of things that are very common. As you move into a managerial ladder, particularly, I'll talk for that at first. One thing is a given, right? So you will be spending a significant part of your time in the people management, managing people. Yes, it can change based on the organization size. For example, if it's a small startup, less than 10 people. You as a CTO will also be bearing a certain responsibility of writing code, et cetera, et cetera. But when the startup actually goes beyond a certain size, for example, it's a 300-people startup, you will rarely do so. But people management remains true even for a smaller startup. When I say people management, what do you mean by that? I mean, for example, like hiring or even like before hiring, writing the job description and looking for people, partnering with your recruitment team ensuring healthy pipeline, hiring those people, onboarding them, building the processes for onboarding, growing, providing a clear career path for each of them, coaching them, mentoring them, and all those actually become part of the people management that you have to do. It's a very important part of your job description. You need to partner with the HR team or people team in your organization, take care of the organization, ensuring the right policies are being built, And they are helpful in the knowledge industry. Sometimes there is this conflict that, okay, a lot of HR folks coming from, say, traditional backgrounds, they will actually put a policy that does not apply to the IT as much. Doing the performance appraisal effectively, and that's also like a kind of a black art. (laughs) And then participating in tech branding, for example. So all these are the people aspects. So that is one. The second aspect is that now you have a team that you have built, and that team is actually well taken care of. Second important thing and probably this is the most important function of a technology leader is executing on it, enabling the business of product through that execution. So there's a vision that is set by the founder, by the product team, by the business team that they want to do certain things. Engineering team is the one that will actually make it real. So that execution is super, super important. As you execute, as you build those products, release them, test them, monitor them, there'll be a bunch of things that are spoken, right? So for startups, I think speed matters a lot. How fast can you actually do this? But in addition to speed, quality matters a lot. So, whatever you are doing, you have to do it in the right manner. If you don't do that in the right manner, then although you are able to churn out products or food very quickly, it is not helping the customers. So, you have to ensure that speed is with quality. Third aspect is often forgotten and that is where the technology part comes in is the agility with which your team can actually react to the changes in the requirement or changes in the business and so on. This requires fundamentally a great architecture. That is where all these technology companies need to understand that they are technology companies first. Then only on top of that, you build the business and products. So that is the second part. The so first part was the people, the second part was the execution. And the third part of the technology leadership is building a tech roadmap. When I say uh, tech roadmap, so as you get into the cycle of churning out products, building things, and so on, and as you scale from, say, first 100 users, 1,000 users, to 10,000 users, to a million users, to 10 billion, and so on, you will accumulate tech debt. And what is tech debt? Tech debt is basically that you have taken a decision in the past, which was good for the past, but not good anymore as you scale further. Or you took a shortcut in the past, but that shortcut needs to be fixed. Basically, at that time, you said, oh, I will fix it tomorrow. But tomorrow it has already become yesterday. So you need to go and pay that debt. So proactively designing or redesigning the architecture to ensure that platform is ready for future scalability requirements, that is another responsibility that this team actually has. And when I say tech roadmap, it does not only mean the pieces that were part of the product, it also means infrastructure, it means security, it means the data protection, it means the back end, it means the front end, it means the QA practices or automations and so on, all those things. So those three things, people, execution and tech roadmap, I think as you become a senior leader, that will be important. One last piece I will say, which is a general requirement as you go into, especially the executive management level is having or developing the right business product mindset. Because what I feel is that unless you actually have a great business product understanding, you cannot even build the right architecture or design because it has always to be in the context of current requirement or the local context basically. There are things which are basically a kind of a playbook for scalability. Okay, you should actually have a replica for a database. You should actually use caching to scale your database, you should do many things, horizontal scaling, vertical scaling, and so on. But in the end, great optimization results will actually come from leveraging the knowledge of your business context. I tell often to individual contributors, the architects, that you need to understand and design for the current context. Better you understand the current requirements, more optimization you can actually.
0: Uh, Go and quote it. Yeah, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, this is great, right? So, for those listeners who are in senior engineering leadership, maybe it's like head of engineering, VP of engineering, director of engineering, or even CTO themselves. I think there are a lot of gist here from your experience, from your history. I personally like your what and how framework. So, when you're a junior, you are being told what and how. As you go up, you're told nothing. You didn't even know the what, you didn't even know the how, and you have to come up with both. So I think that's really insightful for me. Throughout time, I'm sure in Tokopedia or your journey, you've seen a lot. In Tokopedia in particular, you grew like an engineering from 80 to 2,000 plus, I guess, right? That's really a rapid scale. Maybe can you share some of the growing pains or maybe the hiring challenging, like how to scale the team from a small size to a bigger size? Maybe some of the insights you can share here.
1: Tokopedia team actually grew from 80 to uh, 2,000 people now. As you scale, I think you need to work on revamping a lot of the ways you work. For example, your hiring process will need to get revamped. Onboarding process has to be revamped and improved from time to time as your team size increases. And your cultural integration process has to be revamped. Why this is important is because especially in a hyper growth kind of phase, when you actually hire many people, these people are coming with their own background, their own ways of work, their own cultures, and they can be very different. And when I say culture, culture is basically a shared set of beliefs. Now, how do you integrate them in your culture? Because this is a very important part of when forgotten that end of the day, unless you actually integrate them in your culture, get them to your values, your teams will be very heterogeneous. They do not have the shared beliefs and that is a critical requirement for teamwork. So you have to ensure that. A more tactical part is that standardization of the stack. If you do not focus on standardization and do not have some governance in place, you might end up like being there are 20 teams and they are using their own stack. And that is okay. People can actually debate both sides, but I think it's not going to be very beneficial for the team because, I mean, you cannot actually have sharing of the knowledge. You cannot have people moving from one department to another and so on. So a lot of things actually can break. Sometimes it may also happen that there's no governance in place and people are just using different choices. And you have, for example, five different kind of queues in the system, seven different kind of databases. And that becomes operational, I think, disaster. When I say onboarding process, what I mean is that, for example, having a clear documentation of what systems are in place, how we work, a clear onboarding checklist. When an engineer comes or a leader comes, they already know what to do in my first few weeks, how to actually familiarize myself on this company's way of working. Also having bootcamp kind of training. And this was a very useful thing in Tokopedia, for example, I learned there was like a couple of days of bootcamp training for every newcomer that joins. That basically sets them up for, okay, how we work, what is our tech stack, what are our products, who are our customers, what things we are building, and what are our values, our DNA, that's all. As you scale, another thing that I want to point out is that you cannot keep your organization flat forever. When you start small, like 80 engineers, they can all be reporting it to a CTO, it's fine. I mean, even that is like too much, but once it becomes like 200, 300, and more, I think you need to actually set an organization structure in place. So that better management can actually happen for the team. Those are some of the things that I think is important when growing the organization. On the hiring question, for example, when I'm hiring engineers, I look for engineers who can, I mean, coding is important, right? So definitely they must be able to code. They must know their hard skills. So language is not important, but they must be able to problem solve. So that is one thing that I look for. The second is the attitude. This is a very critical thing. There is always this discussion between will and skill, by the way. So if people do not have a will and do not have a skill, of course, please don't hire them. But if they have a skill and they don't have a will, then you can hire them. But because they have a skill, they do not have will, you'll have to motivate them. You need a leader who can actually motivate them to actually have the will. If somebody has the will, but they don't have skill, it's an easier problem to solve, in my opinion. If they are base level done, they can always be upskilled. You need to train them and so on. And if they have both skill and will, I mean, amazing. You have a rock star there. I recently told my team at Julo what good engineers' qualities are. It may sound a bit rhetoric. I feel that good engineers, I'm not talking about 10x engineer, that used to be discussed on Twitter. Yeah? So I'm just saying good engineers, I think that they should be pessimists. They have three qualities. So first is being pessimists. They should understand that whatever can go wrong will go wrong someday. They are basically people who believe in writing as rock solid software as possible. So they'll probably go and check every error that is happening because that error is being returned for some reason. You must actually handle it and so on. I give an analogy to my Juro team. For example, good engineers are those engineers who build bridges which can stand there for hundreds and thousands of years. And that is because they have taken care of everything that, they can, that can go wrong. So they have taken care of, oh, this can go wrong. Let me actually take a backup. Or oh, this backup can go wrong. Let me take a backup of backup. The second quality of a good engineer is they are also optimistic. They know that whatever they're building will basically not only see the light of the day, but also grow in number of users that use it. And hence, I need to actually think about the architecture and design very seriously. Third thing is that they are also realistic, like pragmatic. As in, yes, I know that, okay, I want to build a perfect software, but there are all kinds of constraints here in the current. So, if my users are only ten thousand users, I should not go and try building a system for ten million users. Yeah, it does not make sense
0: from the economics perspective. So, I think good engineers are those people who actually take all these things in consideration. Wow, really interesting perspective on how you hire engineers. I like the will and skill attributes, and also sometimes like contradictory, right? Good engineers, pessimistic but also optimistic, and also realistic. So it's like a different spectrum altogether. How about specifically for engineering, maybe managers or mid-managers or the leaders? Are there anything different on top of what you have shared just now? So for engineering manager and leaders, there is one entire new dimension that goes on top of it.
1: One is, yes, I mean, details are important. Engineering leaders should not shy away from details. I have seen that happen often early in my career. Engineering management is a very difficult job because as an engineer, I think when you come for work, End of the day, when you leave from work, you feel very satisfied. Oh, I solved so many bugs. I wrote that algorithm. I improved this performance and so on. Engineering manager does not have this kind of pleasure. They come to the job. End of the day, they ask themselves, oh, what did I accomplish today? I just did this meeting, that meeting and so on. But those meetings are very important. When I look for engineering leaders or engineering managers, I'm looking, number one, that they understand this motivation. What is the purpose? So they do their management well which means ensuring that work is being managed. At the same time, people are being taken care of. And at the same time, there is a long-term vision that is in their mind. Another thing that they must do is they kind of become the guards of the values that company believes in. So different companies actually have different value systems, ensuring that we are aligned toward a common goal. So those are some of the things that I look for when hiring leaders.
0: People aspect is one. Details are important. And they must know how to manage that ambiguity. When you mentioned about guarding the values and goals, and you touch on a bit also just now about building a culture that aligns together with the scaling of the people. Because when you hire a lot, obviously the way of working, the perspectives, the values are different from all those new joiners. Maybe let's move on to the culture, right? How do you actually align, try to align people to think the same, value the same, ways of working are the same. This can be challenging when you grow into hundreds, thousands of engineers, right? Maybe share some tips on this.
1: Oh, definitely. Before I jump to answering your question, one thing that comes to my mind, Tokopedia has been very successful in generating more and more leaders who grow organically from within the organization. So if we can grow from within the organization, we should actually definitely grow and there is no glass ceiling irrespective of which geography you're coming from, what background you're coming from. There is always a career path for every single individual in the organization. So that helps a lot. But again, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of coaching, trust, building those competencies and so on. So coming to your question on the culture, every organization has a mission, a vision. Every mission actually has a certain set of values. So living those values is super critical. Even as an industry leader, you must ensure that number one task that you have to do is you're living those values. You're talking about those values on every opportunity that you get to talk to your team. It should actually become kind of a day-to-day affair. This helps a lot in alignment. Whenever there are decision making, probably you can align to your values and see and make the decision easily, There'll be less confusion. For example, Google is actually known for their values of safe, transparency and innovation. Amazon is known for their back 14 leadership principles, and they actually become kind of a guiding force, a guiding light for you for making your decision. So that is one. The second is building a strong tech culture requires you to actually have a focus on tech as a core part of building products. That means people realize that those tech platforms are very important. You're not taking shortcuts, but if you're taking shortcuts, you're actually relying on your tech leaders to go and solve those problems and you get that support from entire organization. Second is, I mean, enabling your architects or ICs to become kind of guards of your design and architecture. When I'm saying that, it does not only mean that you give them the responsibility for becoming the guards, you also make them accountable and ensure that this is publicly shared. So the business and product, you just know that they have to ensure this aspect. Then celebrating not only product releases, but also technology improvements, which may not show up directly, but are always adding to the customer experience is also very important. So some of those are the things that we can actually do on culture aspect. One more thing is innovation. We find many companies talking about innovation a lot. I feel that innovation cannot happen until you deliberately go and prepare a ground for innovation. Basically, innovation is you are motivating your engineers to go and find or invent a better way of solving a problem. The problem has been there, but strive trying to actually find a better solution, a more novel solution to solve the problem. Now, this cannot happen if they are actually rushing from one sprint to another sprint, barely able to finish their story points. So they have to find some slack. So your team should actually kind of achieve that state when they are shipping so many products, they're taking care of the tech debt, and they still have to find some time to kind of be at themselves do some free
0: thinking, that is the only way to actually foster that process of innovation. So sometimes these innovations can be challenging, especially when you grow very rapidly from a startup to become a scale-up. So everything is about product features, building more things for the products and business, but yeah, I mean, Slack time is definitely probably a luxury for some of these companies. Thanks for reminding that sometimes when you want to breed innovation, you need to deliberately prepare the ground, the environment, and the culture so that people are not afraid to give it a try. The key is probably slack time, not just focus on just doing delivering work. I hope you enjoyed this short clip from Techly Journal's favorite playlist. If you find this episode useful, please help share it with your friends and colleagues who you think would also benefit from listening to this episode. And if you want to listen more from this conversation, please go back and listen to the original full conversation with my guest. Stay tuned for the next Techly Journal episode and until then, goodbye.